Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode being recorded on Thursday, May 11th, 2017. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome, Jason Scott Show listeners. Tonight, we're doing something really innovative in the world of podcasting. Uh, I don't know if this phrase has ever been used or not, but if it has a, its trademark, uh, Jason and Scott, it's a cross-podcast. That's right. Or maybe we'll go with omni-podcast to kind of <laughs> pull in the flavor of e-commerce. Um, this is part two of a cross-podcast episode. Uh, and we are co-casting with Brian and Philip over at Future Commerce. So before we jump in... You need to go to your favorite podcast app right now and add Future Commerce and subscribe and then go listen to the first part over there and then come back over here. Or if you're a fan of Back to the Future, you can listen to this one first and then feel like you're doing time travel back into the past and listen to episode one. We're really flexible here at the Jason Scott Show, so whichever one of those floats your boat, we will uh, encourage you to go do that. And we'll pause for a second while you figure it out. Okay, welcome back. Jason, let's bring uh, Brian and Philip in as we continue uh, their episode. Guys, do you name your episodes? What what was our episode going to be over on your side? Uh, 34, <laughs> 33. I don't know. We, I, yeah, we 33, 34, somewhere in there. Sure, somewhere in there. 36, in the 30-ish. 36. That's, 30-ish. The, that's the name. Yeah. You'll have to get a team meeting with your audio engineers over there to, <laughs> to figure out how to, how to do it and get a consensus built. Um and then uh, this is our episode 84. Uh, so welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, happy to be on. Uh, this is quite an honor, actually. Uh, we, we are happy to have you. Uh, let's uh, let our audience get to know you just a little bit. So maybe, uh, Brian, you want to start by giving us uh, your background? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, i born and raised in the Seattle area, and uh, I... Uh, I Got into a, a little startup out here that did uh, basically payment processing, both across physical and digital. Um, and so they actually processed like checks. <laughs> um, and so uh, they also they also had an online payments tool, and that sort of wet my appetite for for online commerce and or for for commerce, I should say, in general. Um, and uh, and and then made my way over to a, a digital agency called Classy Llama. Um, and they're, they're, uh, specifically a Magento agency, um, a really a long time Magento agency, um, and, and got to help build up that agency. And, uh, and I've, I've been in a, a couple different agencies right now. I'm at an agency called something digital, uh, with Philip. Um, we're primarily a, a Magento focus agency, but, uh, we're, when we're digital across the board, um, and, and partner with, uh, another platform as well. And, um, we we uh, I, I've I've really enjoyed getting to know um, everything you know uh, kind of an entire education of what it means to be in commerce through this process. Um, certainly, there's a lot that I still don't know, uh, but uh, really excited to uh, to be talking about digital commerce and. Um, I've been I've been able to work with uh, some really cool brands to bring their digital commerce experiences to to life. Um, and uh, 
uh, in you know started future commerce with philip we we, we were working yeah. uh, at, at basically competitors at the time and uh, <laughs> kind of got to know each other through different conferences we lived in the same world and um there was this uh, this one one late night we had where we started really really kind of getting down deeper into the into the details and and and, uh, and um, I think it was actually at IRCE in Chicago uh, three years ago or something like that and um, we started a you know a, a friendship and and really a, a series of conversations that led to. Um, us being like, man, these are these are really interesting topics we're talking about. We should record yeah. this. <laughs> um, and so uh, that's how I ended up in podcasting. Uh, Phillips kind of got a, a little bit earlier story of getting into podcasting, so I'll let him get into that. Uh, but yeah, that's me. Yeah, Philip, yeah. tell us uh, about your career and how you got into to be a, a podcast ninja. Yeah, thanks. I, so I, I actually I took a, a left pointed albacoiki, if you will. I. I I got uh, <laughs> I dropped out of theological seminary after two years, and I joined a band, and I did that for seven years, <laughs> and uh, and and you know we were like touring around, and it was super cool, and you know we were, like recording and doing all these really cool, really neat things, and but it's interesting, you know, like the one thing that was sort of a mainstay that held over from from my high school days was that you know I was really good with computers, and. Um, you know, through sort of a long series of events, you know, you kind of look back on your life and you're like, well, one of these things is making me money and one's not. And, uh, <laughs> and so why don't we stop the one that doesn't make me any money and focus on the thing that does and, uh, found a lot of good fortune, uh, there and, uh, been, been truly uh, fortunate to, uh, to have, you know, nearly a 18 year career now, um, in, in e-commerce or digital commerce. Uh, and so, you know, it's great kind of growing up in the industry from the late nineties, uh, where people were, you know, in the dot coms trying to just figure out how we were even supposed to do this stuff online and then sort of watching things mature and best practices emerge. And, uh, yeah, so kind of growing up and, and working directly for a bunch of merchants and then, uh, you know, doing a lot of, uh, direct consulting, uh, and then, you know, finally, uh, finding my way into, uh, uh, you know, actually being a subject matter expert in e-commerce uh, and and uh, and heading up a, a digital commerce team at Something Digital, uh, which is um, uh, the best named uh, digital agency uh, ever. Um, and <laughs> although I do uh, also like best. Classy Llama, Classy Llama, yeah. yes. So, so what's what's interesting <laughs> is that you, Something Digital actually it contains its own origin story right in its name, which is is funny. Um, but you know, just kind of getting to know. Brian and some of the people in in our industry, uh, and and you know having some success in podcasting, um, you know I have a, another podcast called Mage Talk, which is a Magento focused podcast that uh, uh, has about seventy thousand listeners a month at this point, and um, you know that's really taken us to a new place worldwide, kind of talking about Magento, talking about you know the future of that platform and. But really also wanting to tell other stories. And so, you know, in the last year and a half, we launched two other properties, uh, Future Commerce, to really talk about retail in general and talk about the the transformation that retail is undergoing right now and the challenges, too. You know, not everything is so exciting in the future. You know, there's some there's probably some dark days ahead and there's there's definitely dark side. And we touch on that some on the show. 
Um, so the show's been not quite a year yet, and um, 35 or 34 episodes. We, we do, we're not really sure at this point. We, we've lost count. Uh, but, you know, we're, <laughs> we're, we're trying to really, you know, do, I think, what a lot of people struggle with, which is uh, remain consistent. Uh, we want to have consistent uh, content, and I think that's something you guys can appreciate. So, um, yeah, uh, so Future Commerce. We also launched another podcast property this year uh, called Merchant to Merchant, which is uh, stories, merchants telling their own stories. And it's for merchants uh, specifically and stories of merchants talking about their own experience, uh, you know, among themselves. So we'll get a panel of, you know, three or four retailers together and ask them to and prod them to talk about, you know, what's easy and what's hard. And you wouldn't believe the the kind of uh, feedback that comes out of that. And it's real honest content where it's not just someone like me who thinks they know everything, um, uh, just kind of telling you what to do, uh, which is usually what you get in these sort of mediums, right? You get a couple of white guys that just pontificate on a podcast, and that's not an uncommon thing in our space. Uh, but to get people from diverse backgrounds and to get people that are uh, that have very different uh, stories to you and have different aspirations and different struggles and get them to actually tell their story, it's really vulnerable. Vulnerable, and you get really authentic uh, stories there. So it's it's kind of cool. I think we're on this really interesting journey. Um, and for me, it's it's really about storytelling, and it's really about uh, you know shared experience. Um, so, but yeah, delighted to be here. I'm a big fan of your guys' show. Uh, so, uh, pardon me being a little starstruck. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. And it's awesome. You're building a whole network. We can, uh, Jason and I struggle just to kind of get this puppy out once a week. So I'm, uh, I'm amazed that folks that can do that. Yeah. I think what really, uh, the, the key is to just neglect, uh, everything in your life and your job, and then you Good. can really be successful. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. You'll have to let us know how that works out for you. <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> okay. Well, listeners, uh, if you're listening to this two-parter in the chronological sequence, uh, when we last left you in this cross-podcast episode, we just finished talking about some future trends, and we thought we'd bring it back to the here and now. Now, if you're listening to it out of sequence, if you're one of those original trilogy people, <laughs> let me just say Darth Vader and Luke are not related at all. There's nothing to see here. These are not the droids you're looking for. Jason, you want to kick it out with uh, some some news? Uh, I do, uh, but uh, before we jump into news, uh, I do want to take advantage of the fact uh, that we have some Magento gurus in the house. Um, so for listeners on this podcast, I have been slightly negative on Magento, um, and I'm, I'm prepared to be schooled, uh, but I, I want to at least get my POV out there, and, uh, and you guys can help me see the light. Uh, we, we actually had Mark Lavelle and Peter Sheldon on episode 50. Um, and, you know, Magento is, is arguably the most important platform in the e-commerce ecosystem. It, you know, I think there's probably more sites on that platform than anything else. Uh, in my company, we, we deploy a lot of, of that platform in Asia. Uh, we, we don't personally do as much here in North America. Um, but, but what has been a concern for me is, you know, that that for a long time there's been this version one of Magento that had all these beloved features that had had all these users um, and you know had this rich rich community of developers and plugins and and all the all these sorts of things uh, and what you tended to run into is 
you know, these these kind of whether they're true or not, like, hey, yeah, Magento is great for the long tail. It doesn't really scale for the enterprise clients. Um, and in full disclosure, like Magento did struggle to to sort of list a bunch of enterprise clients. Like they would often list enterprise clients and you'd go talk to those clients and they'd be like, yeah, we're using it for a small project in the corner. It's not our right. our, our main platform. And so, you know, that was kind of my first red flag at Magento was on Magento 1, while it was super popular, it didn't seem to to catch the top of the ecosystem. And then after years of waiting and promising and changing hands a couple of times, you know, I think they probably got screwed by by being acquired by eBay for a few years there, they finally launched version two. And what's scary to me and what, I, what, what you know, sort of came to light in this conversation with Mark in episode 50 is there are not a lot of sites that have migrated from version one to version two. Um, and so, you know, arguably there's, there's some improvements and, and fixes in version two, but it, it no you can't you can no longer say Magento is the most popular platform in the world because there's you know a relatively small user base on the current version of Magento, uh, so it seems like all the majority of those users got left behind. And frankly, some of the most beloved features like the the rich ecosystem of third party plugins, you know, is is dramatically different in in Magento two today. So so my kind of talking point to people has been. Uh, that Magento 2 probably has a lot less momentum that, than Magento 1 did in its heyday. And I'm, I'm prepared for you to tell me why I'm completely off base. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, uh, you've, you've caught us up on 80-plus episodes of uh, ire uh, and vitriol that you've had toward the Magento platform. And, uh, <laughs> I, I actually applaud that you were able to do that in two minutes. That's kind of an impressive skill. Um, we have to find a way for you to monetize that skill. Um, you know, I I'll, I'll start out here uh, because I I don't uh, believe that Brian can be succinct. I'll say this: if if, <laughs> if <laughs> it's fair, that's fair. If uh, if, uh, if Mark and Peter, uh, who are the CEO and I think the VP of Strategy at Magento, uh, respectively, if they can't change your mind on and quell your fears on Magento, then I don't know that I'm going to do any good. But I will say this. Um, Listen, I can only speak from my own personal experience. Um, as somebody who is admittedly a fanboy and has hung a good portion of my or the latter part of this, you know, career that I have the last eight years on Magento, um, and I'm pretty well decorated in the Magento space. Um, you know, you have I, actual I, decorations, by the way, don't you? Are yeah, you like a black belt? Yeah, I'm like. <laughs> so I'm a two-time Magento master, which is a a, a sort of a notable. Uh, 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 community spotlight award that they give out. Uh, so I'm, I'm one of like seven people that have received it twice and I'm a four time Magento certified developer. And I've spent a lot of time in the trenches doing a lot of Magento work and specifically, you know, rescue for rescue work, uh, for large builds, which is, you know, something that no other platform can tout is the number of rescues that happen. Um, <laughs> what here's, here's what I would like to say is that I think with, uh, with, uh, <laughs> uh I don't know with, the ubiquity of the platform uh, in Magento 1 is where the success of the platform in Magento 1. Uh, I think any shift of gears that represented a re-architecture that, that sort of leaves, you know, quote-unquote leaves people behind uh, is going to be a painful one. I don't think there's any way to, to get around that. I think we've, we've seen that in, major, uh, in, in, in any major software uh, rev. Um, you know, Windows 10, most notably recently, has had some major uh, had some major hiccups. You know, moving people across 
from platforms and sort of forcibly doing it at the end of the day. And I think I think it's a it's not an easy thing in software. Period. I think what's what's really complicated is e-commerce and digital commerce in in and of itself is a difficult problem space to solve. And everybody wants you know everybody wants open architecture, easy to build on, you know, open ecosystem. Um, so some of the, the the sort of little points that you mentioned uh, are are things that I think are are being currently rectified. I think uh, the last check, um, you know, seventy percent of the people, seventy uh, percent of all technology partners had Magento two uh, compatible uh, integrations uh, at the first of this year, and it's growing. Um, you know, we we do a tremendous amount of Magento work. It's not all that we do. Uh, we are we are also Shopify Plus partners, but our deal pipeline is full. Um, we're we're seeing a tremendous demand for Magento, so we can only speak for ourselves. Just being seeing a tremendous demand for Magento two, and specifically Magento one clients looking to come over to Magento two. Um, now, I, I do think that some of that could be under duress, so I don't want to discount that. But I, I do think that Magento has a lot of promise, and if if you want to continue to sort of get the benefit of what a platform like Magento has to offer, which is a freely available piece of software that is enterprise grade, uh, where you can, you know, download it and start your business and then grow into an enterprise platform. It's sort of ready. And the promise of Magento is that it grows with you, right? You have something that's available freely at the low tier and you can grow up into, you know, billion dollar businesses running on Magento. But I, I think there are challenges along the way and we have to be very honest about them and we can't glaze over them. I think the the internet retailer 300, the B2B 300, which is a new segment for, for the IR rating, you know, Magento owns the, the B2B 300. I don't know that they're going to stay there forever. And Magento sort of found their way into it, kind of like Mr. Bean finds his way into good situations because, <laughs> because, because Magento isn't a B2B <laughs> platform. It's not capable of doing B2B out of the box. People adapt Magento to do it. And I think that's what you're seeing is that Magento is extremely adaptable. And so the success of Magento has nothing to do with Magento. I, I mean, I think anybody will tell you that. I think Mark Lavelle would tell you that. The success of Magento is the community. The success of Magento is the the sort of dedication of a lot of hardworking and brilliant people um, in the international community, especially uh, that contribute freely to this platform to make it a better thing. Um, and you're not going to get that on Hybris and you're not going to get that on demand where, um, I mean, you might get <laughs> scalability and speed. That's another co conversation, but you're, you're not going to, you know, you're also not going to get sort of that promise of what Magento offers, which is a, you know, this, this rich ecosystem of, of makers. But I, anyway, I, I've now also not been succinct. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to bring that up, Philip. <laughs> um, just to add on a little bit to what you're saying. Um, I think this has been actually, uh, you mentioned pain, but also opportunity because while Magento had a very broad ecosystem, that ecosystem was very difficult to navigate before. And, 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 you know, sort of modernizing the platform has now allowed Magento to, um, and, and, and bringing a new marketplace into, into play has allowed Magento to uh, do a much better job of curating their ecosystem, which has been very good for it. Um, and yeah, while it's taken a little bit of time for some of these module developers to, to re-release their extensions for the platform, 
Um, the the great thing is Magento's rejected a whole bunch of them, and for good reason. Sure. Um, and and uh, you know, I think uh, now we're getting. You know, I'm not going to say it's you know it's the cream of the crop, but we're getting we're getting a, a a much better picture of what actually works and doesn't work. And so when when a when a retailer comes into the Magento world, um, it's it's not quite as scary as it used to be. It's not quite as wild west as it used to be. Um, it's a lot easier to 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 be successful uh, in in the new paradigm. Um, and I think that's what scared some, you, you mentioned enterprise customers. I think that's what scared some of them away before, is it just it felt it felt uh, it felt down market. It you know it felt like there was a lot of weird stuff available to you and yeah and and so now now Magento is really tailoring itself to be enterprise enterprise ready, and you know they released their commerce platform. They're about to or their their cloud platform. They're about to release their B two B commerce cloud this this summer. Um, the the functionality that's contained in that platform is is going to make the the total cost um, of of implementing Magento for B two B quite a bit lower, and I don't think yeah. that anyone else is going to be able to touch that total cost of ownership um, from the B two B perspective here coming out. Uh, and so there's a lot of things to really like about where Magento's headed. Um, lots of a lot of positive movement, and they're also yeah. the other thing that they're doing is they're, they're they they didn't they didn't necessarily add a ton of features in Magento One on a regular basis. And what we're seeing with Magento Two is there were an insane amount of um, product announcements that just happened here in Imagine, where they added social, they announced B two B, you know they they added a, a CMS, which Magento One was definitely lacking. Um, just a, a ton of tools, a ton of innovation, a ton of movement that's yeah, happening in Magento. A lot of key Magento partnerships. Right yeah, it's, a lot it's of key lot partnerships of too. Yeah, partnerships. Yeah, additional partners. Uh, it's definitely been reinvigorated, and I, I, I'm, you know, I think part of the other, the other gripe with Magento, at least, you know, at least one of those sort of inside baseball gripes uh, for people like me, um, is that yeah, Magento was sort of slow in, 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 you know adapting or or keeping up with the times and i think it started to show its age after some time and and they they say it in a nice way now it's like we have the youngest platform of anybody which i think you know rightly so like it still has the name magento on it and i would say you know uh, it is magento-esque but it is a different platform um it is not a simple upgrade to get from one to two i think that's a problem um so yeah i think that there's i think there are there's still a lot of challenges ahead i think we're we're going to see uh, we're going to see continued uptake through 2017. I'm interested to see what happens through the end of the year. But I, you know, Magento did just actually place into the the leader uh, quadrant from uh, the new Gartner uh, Magic Quadrant uh, uh, survey. So um, you know, they are showing some promise there. But a good portion of their ability to compete in the areas that matter is because the the, the platform is extendable. And, uh, and, and because there's community enablement for those features, Magento doesn't kill it in, per, in personalization. You know, Magento doesn't have native B2B right now. It's coming, but it's not there. And so there are other platforms that I think are niche players that are better suited for different types of business. I think, you know, but from a broad market perspective, Magento is, you know, objectively owning it right now. You know, I think they have to continue to push hard to stay ahead 
Um, they're not going to, they're, you know, they won somehow, uh, to this point, but they're going to have to work harder to, to keep that lead. Uh, I don't know. What, what do you think, Scott and Jason? You guys, you guys seem to be real quiet over there. <laughs> I'm, I'm not as negative on Magento as Jason is. Um, but one thing I've noticed over kind of like the last five years is five years ago, every SMB I talked to, it was like, I'm going Magento. Yeah. Um, and then there was some, I think you called them rescues. I think that was good. I, you know, some people call them refugees, so I don't, I don't know the right one. <laughs> Orphans, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what happened is these SMBs, they got into these projects. And they didn't realize, all right, I got to get a developer, a designer, and a host. And that's like a, you know, that's a pretty serious project for a 20-person company to handle that's, sure. you know, like a $5 million e-commerce business. So they can do you can't just stop shipping product in the middle of all that either. Um, so a lot of them have abandoned it and gone to the either the big commerce or the Shopify, the SaaS platforms at that SMB level. Um, now, I felt like Magento really missed an opportunity there. They had that Go thing, but I think it was just so downsized that it was kind of useless. Um, and I, I have to admit I haven't kept up with all the announcements, but it sounds like you just talked about a cloud. Tell us a little bit more about that. And Do you think that they're kind of at parity with the Shopify's and big commerces? And I realize you guys talk about all the platforms. So, um, sure. Yeah, Brian, go ahead. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put this in the same category. It's not. Um, it's not what I would consider. You know, software as a service. This is. I know they've kind of migrated away from this terminology, but it's more like platform as a service. So you actually still have. It's more like a stack of of hosting and monitoring tools with support. Um, and you still have all the flexibility that you did with Magento before. It's not like you don't have access to the source code and or to the code and and the ability to make changes. So. Um, I, I, I would, I wouldn't put it in the same category as Big Commerce or Shopify. I would still, I, I, I would actually you know, say that, that their cloud platform is more competitive with like a Demandware or, or I should say, Salesforce Commerce Cloud, um, yeah, or Hybris than than with sh- like Shopify. It's not, it's not, they're not, they're not very similar at all. Okay. Yeah. 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 But do you I, think I do they say- need to do that? No, uh, I don't think they do. I mean, I, th- I think it would be a, a shift in direction for them right now. Honestly, the, the Magento brand, I think, is built on, you know, uh, uh, sort of, I don't know, there's there's some complexity to Magento just inherently. And, and so you're never going to get the, the plug and play ability that you would get from someone that, you know, has uh, from other players that are you know, specifically keeping you away from the internals and focusing you only on, you know, a, a walled garden of, of really good intuitive user experience, you know, for the merchant features to publish product. And, but Magento also has a different strategy, right? So it, it's, it's better probably fit for a retailer that sees their, their digital commerce uh, platform as one part of a larger piece of, a, you know, as, as part of their omni-channel strategy so they see it as a property, right? This is an asset, or this is a this is an asset on their books as much as any you know brick and mortar store uh, with with uh, frontage uh, would would be considered a uh, an asset. And and you know if you own that asset, if it's a if it's an actual you know if it's ones and zeros that you've developed and you put time and money into developing on and you own the platform and you own the hosting and you own you own all those relationships and Magento could go away tomorrow. And, and that thing can continue to still run, uh, well then great. Like that's, that's a real asset and accountants sure kind of like that, I suppose. 
Uh, and that's one way to think about it. You know, I think there's a devaluation that's happening right now in in di- in digital commerce where we're just looking. It's sort of like commoditized uh, web property uh, enablement, and so we're kind of buying into the Shopify's of the world. And we do Shopify, so I'm not demeaning it by any means. But you know, you you buy into these uh, sort of all in ones where they they own the hosting, they own the code. Uh, they give you a very, you know, select, uh, few areas where you can make sort of customizations. And also, by the way, they own payments too. And, uh, and, and while that gives for some really great, you know, they rolled Apple pay out to 250,000 merchants like overnight, that's cool. Uh, but if Shopify goes away or Shopify changes something on you, you're, you're kind of going along for that ride. It's not an asset that you own outright and you have no say in it. Um, and I think for some, it's, it's an ideology, I think, as a business that you just have to buy into that you're okay with that. Uh, what we're seeing on the rescue side of things, not to continue to beat this, but, but what we're seeing is that, you know, it's, it's what I liken to, like, you know, once you have your first, like, you, you come out of a breakup, right? You, you have this great relationship with, you know, a significant other, and then maybe you get hurt in that relationship and you break up and you realize you kind of look back and you do a postmortem and you're like, man, there's a lot of things that I expected that were just unreasonable expectations, right? This isn't her fault. It's probably my fault too. Like it's both of our faults, but it's not entirely just her, right? It's also me. Yeah. And I think what we're seeing is that there's a class of a merchant who is becoming more, uh, who's coming to the understanding that maybe the problems with Magento also also have to do with their expectations of what digital commerce should be and their expectations of what, uh, you know, their, their unreasonable expectations of how something should work and behave. And, and, and so those temper, those, those are becoming tempered. Those expectations are becoming tempered and they're now better, you know, they're going to go into the next relationship with, with a little bit more open mind and, and maybe a little more grace uh, for when they, you know, get through the hard stuff. I don't know. It's a bad analogy, but I think you understand where I'm trying to go. Yeah. Uh, cool. No, for sure. Right. I, I totally get it. And I, I should say like m- my general POV is all of these platforms stink, right? Like, I, yeah. uh, the, 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 like this is way harder than it should be. And compared frankly to other platforms and other parts of the business, like it's shocking how much work we have to do and how much risk and how many rescues there are because, uh, you know, of all those issues. And, and I would certainly agree that those issues are, uh, on, on client side and the platform side and the integrator side. I think, I think my favorite client ever, uh, is a big retailer CEO. He calls me and he's like, Hey, you know, we've hired three SVPs of e-commerce here. None of them did a good job. We fired them all and they all went on to be wildly successful at their next companies. And he's like, it's come to my attention that it might be us, not them. <laughs> um, so I, I like that 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 level of self realization is rare, but it was enjoyable. Um, the I feel like you uh, you guys made some great points. Like you have underscored what I think is still one of the the marketing challenges of the new Magento, and that's like they. They used to be good at certain things. The new platform is much better at other things, um, but. Nobody seems to want to really like say, "Hey, this is our new focus. This is what we're really good at." And by you know, they they want to talk about how good they were at the old Magento one, and at the same time talk about why that you know 
hey, that was the Wild West and the plugins were super dangerous. Now, now we're on Magento 2 and the plugins are much better vetted, but we don't have yep. as many. Um, I, so I would, I chuckled. The, the great irony here is that, that Peter Shelton used to do the Forrester wave. Um, yeah. and his whole job was to say, Hey, here are all the platforms and here's the, here's the use cases that each platform fits in the best, right? Here's the box that you'd put each of these platforms in and it, it's hard for purchasers because Magento is fighting so much to get put in a box. Like, are you know, are they in a, like? Is their goal to be an on-prem solution that just competes with with uh, SAP and IBM? Is it to be a a, a cloud offering like like uh, Salesforce? Is it to be a long tail like um, Shopify? Like, I, like there absolutely right. is a strong place in the ecosystem for for them. I have no doubt about that. It's it's confusing because they won't help buyers by saying. This is where we fit, and and you underscored like one of the 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 great ones. They're they're really prevalent on the B two B top three hundred list, even though they don't have native B two B features. Sure, they're, they're not prevalent on the IR three hundred, the top three hundred retailers. You know, which is like the the native feature set that they they more support. And so it just it's it's hard to figure out exactly what they want to be when they grow up. Right now is kind of my. My my gripe. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah. But I th- I do think that they they sort of own the top one thousand. They do. So I I do think I I, I agree with you totally. I think uh, uh, there's going to be a challenge with Magento philosophically uh, going forward. It's interesting to watch um, of how much of their how much of their community are they going to start to usurp by putting by replacing their community's enablement with core features so that they can play in the larger spaces because nobody, you know, you know, I've seen deals actively lost because Magento didn't have personalization out of the box and you had to go to Sertona like that lost a deal, you know, and that's, that's a silly thing to me to get upset over. But at that level, people don't want to have multiple, uh, you know, relationships with multiple vendors they want one relationship with one vendor that does everything sort of poorly but they do everything um but and that's just my take too everything kind of sucks but one more thing i want to mention about magento and this is this is not something that's been talked about enough and and it is i think it's a really important point magento um i think over a year ago now actually released uh an oms and yeah uh, one of the things that I absolutely First, Scott, love that's about that's an order management system. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, the, 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 I think they're, they're calling it M, um, MCOM. That's the, that's the nickname. Um, and, and one thing that I love about MCOM is that right now in the order management world, and, and, and you know, let's talk about future commerce for a minute, order management is, is, is probably yeah. one of the most important plays going forward. I think if you're gonna if you're gonna look at what you know what technology holds the glass going forward, order management is probably that technology. Um, it, the the thing that I love about MCOM is that f- for a, again total cost of ownership perspective, you know the the competition is is IBM and uh, Manhattan, and those are very expensive platforms right now that are, that that take a lot to implement and and yes they are very powerful they're great platforms but mcom is also really powerful and can be implemented for about a tenth of the cost um yeah 
And so that that all in, on its own, I think, is going to start to shape how Magento enters the market. Um, it's going to take some time. It's still going to be a year or two, I think, before it really starts to take hold. But this is this is something where it's it's not sexy, but it is the future. Yeah, it's the least sexy thing actually uh, ever. Uh, my 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 take is is right. You're right on. I've been calling the death of the shopping cart for the last two years, um, and I know I'm late to the game because a lot of really smart people have called that before. But you know the the paradigm that we're currently operating underneath is still a real-world paradigm being modeled in a digital space. The idea that we go to a, a branded location to put you know, items in a basket and then push it to a checkout and then give some payment information, this is a dead paradigm. And it's, it's one that's being challenged, uh, and that metaphor is being challenged on every single device that we interact with that's not a desktop computer today. And so once we get more towards the one clicks and, and uh, ambient commerce with anticipated, anticipated uh, purchase uh, uh, behaviors. And we sort of let more of our life go on autopilot and more things are on demand one click. We don't need shopping carts anymore. And Magento has no place anymore. In fact, most of us won't be interacting with commerce in the same way 10 years from now that we are today. Um, and so I, what does a company like Magento do to, future proof itself it has to get into a different to a different area different area different area and i think order management is the crux of that and there are too many businesses today that don't realize it but they're building order management into magento and order management is its own specific challenge and niche uh and it's a it, it is a very niche software market right now and one that i think does need disruption but it's not one that's going to get a lot of people's attention. And I think Magento will be there to capture a lot of that business for the people that are trying to do the Alexa purchases that are also trying to do buy online pickup in store that are also trying to do app purchases and, you know, God forbid AR and VR purchases, like whatever the heck that looks like. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, it's, it's just, it's an interesting thing that as, as business moves less, uh, away, moves away from branded portals, um, and and branded uh, direct-to-consumer portals on the internet that we're trying to drive people to, I think instead of shopping being a destination, shopping is now at our destination wherever we are. And, and that is the transformation. So I think you're right, Brian. Order management's the crux of that. And so, you know, Magento Digital Commerce as a shopping cart is probably a dead or dying platform in the next 10 years anyway. Um, how's How long that for a headline? the other ones? <laughs> Along with everything else, it's not just yeah. Magento. Except Blue Martini. Um, Blue Martini is going to survive. <laughs> yeah. uh, the yeah. fabric. So I, I, I totally get it, and uh, I, I do agree. OMS is a, a, a definitely an opportunity to differentiate, and most of the OMS solutions out there right now are sort of designed for how people fulfilled orders five years ago, not how orders are, um, you know, what we need today, much less what we're likely to need in the in the next couple of day, uh, couple of years. So. So that's going to be an interesting space. Totally disagree that OMS isn't sexy. I would say CPQ is way less sexy than OMS. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, I do want to change topics. Good good stuff on the platforms. Uh, we did mention a couple times during the platform conversation the internet retailer B2B 300 list and the, the, the B2C 500 or 1,000 list. And that reminded me of my pet peeve of the week. Um, so those lists are super valuable to our industry. They're a list of the, 
the top companies in different sectors and uh, how much revenue they do and what platforms they use and all these sorts of things. So so uh, when you're talking inside baseball, you, you want to have that list so you know how many of the top 500 B2B companies are using Magento, for example. Um, so they just released this year's list uh, for the, the IR500, which is their original list of retailers. And A, they've become the most annoying salesman in the planet. Like I get more spam for this list than anything. And, <laughs> and I need that list. So I click on all that spam and I go to the site to buy the list and it's impossible to buy. They have like so many different plans, um, that you can't figure out like which is the plan you actually need. And when you click on the price for any of those plans, it takes you to a contact us form where, uh, <laughs> like, a, you know, someone, someone has, you have to communicate with a salesperson that goes, I don't know how much can you afford? Um, so I, I, I hate that whole experience. I fought my way through all of it. I got the list, which is way more expensive this year than it's ever been before. And wouldn't you know it, they've totally nerfed it. Like in the past, they they gave you their estimate of actual revenue for every company on the list. And now, unless you pay literally tens of thousands of dollars for the list, you get these like really coarse estimates. Like they do over a billion dollars or they do... 500 million to a billion or they do 250 million to 500 million. Um, so I, I don't have any action here, but I'm just saying, I feel like these guys they, uh, have ruined that product. Like that it was a super valuable uh. tool for the, the industry and the fact that they make it so hard to buy. And then they're, they're diminishing uh, the, the level of, of product you get just seems like exactly the wrong, wrong trend these days. And just to get back at them, you should just go ahead and, Torrent that uh, that report that would oh. help us all. I think. Just kidding. <laughs> That'll yeah, really yeah. show them. Yeah. We're going to chase Scott Yeah. <laughs> Jason, there you so, go. So actually, you you took the words out of my mouth. I think that's the that's the thing is that uh, I know both of you sort of have a vested interest there in in, uh, in those, those that comp- that particular uh, company. My 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 guess would be like, can't anybody just sort of create these lists and create their own? Couldn't there be a competing product at some point? I suppose. If only there was like some industry trade organization that everyone was members of, only. and they, they somehow like aggregated all that data. Gosh. Wouldn't that be nice? We should find some board members there. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, Jason, it wouldn't be a Jason and Scott show without some Amazon news. So it's been a been a pretty busy week on the Amazon front, uh, and future commerce guys would love to hear your your hot take on the latest entry to the Echo family, the Echo Show. What do you guys think about it? I mean, it's 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 been a huge complaint that there's been no uh, screen for the Echo, um, mm-hmm. and so this is a a very natural step in the progression of, you know, uh, voice first interactions. Um, and so, I mean, I applaud Amazon for releasing it. Obviously. Um, I'm, I'm excited. It's finally here. I'm really excited to see how people start applying it. I think there's a lot of application, maybe even at a business level for the echo show. Um, I, I, uh, I mean, I think it's 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 great. I I can't wait to start using it. Hmm. I, I I sort of I, I agree that I think it's a cool next step for the product and probably an obvious next step for the product. Um, I'm more excited about the features, not necessarily that the show enables, but the uh, but that the 
all of the Echo devices have received, which is calling and messaging, uh, which has seemed like a natural progression for the product. So you don't need the show to do it. it it's landed on most Echo devices today already. Um, but you can you know, call somebody and have a voice conversation with them if they happen to have a, an, an Echo and they're in your uh, customer, in your, in, I'm sorry, in your uh, contact list. Or you can leave them a voicemail or you can just plain old text message them uh, back and forth, which I think is a natural progression. And I do think that there's a place for it. But, you know, I, I, I was wrong about the original Echo, so I'm no longer allowed to be, uh, uh, you know, crusty about anything that Amazon does. <laughs> oh, you were you were an Echo doubter, huh? Yeah, definitely. Big time. Uh, and now I have like four of them in my house. So it's, you know. Yeah. And your podcast is available thing. on it, which I'm totally jealous of. <laughs> yeah, you'll be the first guy uh, to get the closet one too yeah <laughs> actually i will i so i i'm i'm way more excited about the echo look um which is the camera device which i'm sure you guys have already covered but we you know we we, we covered it on uh, episode 33 of uh, future commerce we we like you know in general i think we're both high on the product i like the idea of personalized recommendations that are for my body type um, whereas, you know, I, I just have a, you know, let's just say it. I have, I have a ghetto booty. I have this, I have a weird body shape and it's hard for me. I, I have, I have very wild, uh, range of sizes that fit across many brands. And I think if, if Amazon can solve that for me, I'm, I'm definitely looking for, you know, I don't know if I need the fashion advice so much, but from a body data and a, even a midget, um, Sorry, it's magento in the brain. Uh, Amazon is a branded manufacturer, actually making their own clothes, and they can sell me clothes that fit. I'm I'm kind of all in on that. I like that idea. Um, cool. So, yeah. I have to ask, what's a what's a ghetto booty? Oh, it's uh, it's it's a very large derriere. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, Got it. Yeah. Just that's they why call I me the Kim Kardashian of magento. If that's oh, amazing. cool, nice. I have a booty designed for podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this, this is kind of a good segue into the overall Amazon topic. What, you know, you guys talk to a lot of retailers. Um, you know, it's usually one of the first things that Jason and I get. What, what do you guys, you know, when people ask you, uh, should we worry about Amazon? How do we compete with them? What's your general kind of framework you, you work from? Do you think they're going to dominate the future or are they're kind of going to be 25%? I feel like you, you just set the T up for me. Um, so I'll set it up and Brian, you knock it down. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't think that Amazon is your competition. I don't. Um, you may think Amazon is your competition, and you may hear every podcast and every you know, uh, think piece on Medium uh, that says Amazon is your competition, but Amazon's not your competition. It's your customers' heightened expectations of you as determined by their great interactions with Amazon that is your new competition. And so Amazon's setting the new norm, but that doesn't mean that we can't compete with Amazon um, it, it means that we have to give the customers a reason to come to us. Um, and I think Amazon has to be part of your strategy. I think they are owning everything, um, mm. quite literally. I mean, I, I think I just got a recommendation for someone to come wash my windows from Amazon's professional services like thing, which like they, they're doing Angie's list now. I didn't even know that. Um, it's crazy. They're doing everything, but I, I do think that Amazon needs to be part of your strategy. And I think, uh, you know, uh, there, there are enablement platforms to be able to do that. So I think it is one part of the pie. Um, and that's oh. setting it up. So Brian, you knock it down. AKA channel advisor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was alluding to it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the, um, 
I think, you know, if you're, if you're certain retailers, Amazon definitely competes with you. <laughs> um, at an well, enterprise I mean, if you're Walmart, level. but that's not what we're talking about, right? Like if, if you're, if you are a brand who makes shoes, sure. Amazon sure. isn't competing yeah. with you buying your own shoes no, from no, like, you see what not. I'm saying? No, I, I, I completely right. agree with that until we start to get to the basics conversation. Um, but I guess that's not any different than, you know, selling at, at Costco that has their Kirkland brand, right? Or anyone yeah, else that has a generic true. brand. But so there is a, a certain amount of competition that Amazon brings to to larger retailers um, in general. But I and, and obviously, I think, you know, we're seeing the effects of that right now. Um, and it's not just Amazon, but. Um, you know, we talked about Macy's briefly on part one, uh, very briefly. Um, but you know, I think they're definitely feeling the effects of competition with Amazon. Um, and so, you know, yes, I think if you're talking, so Philip, if you're talking about sort of the, the small, the medium and even large side of uh, large medium brands and retailers out there, that's, you're, you're right. They're, they're not really competing. But um, we start to talk, you know, at, at, at a larger enterprise level, I think there is some some competition. And I think that's where you get into the question is, is it, is it going to be all Amazon in the future? Um, now, if Mark Lore has anything to do with it, I would say probably not. Um, <laughs> definitely some big opportunities. And, and, I, and, I, and I just love his mindset and strategy around what he's doing right now with Walmart. Um, I think he's changing. Actually, he's actually changing the Walmart brand right now uh, with his with his, the moves that he's making. And um, uh, the the stigma around Walmart is going to have to shift um, in order for them to remain competitive. Um, and in 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 a certain sense, they do have one competitive advantage, and that is they've got a, a very large set of retail stores scattered throughout the country. Um, and so there's, there's going to be, there's going to be a fight. It's not just, uh, it's not just going to be all Amazon all the time. That said, I mean, we've joked that our show is the Amazon show because Amazon is doing so much cool stuff all the time. And you know, it's, it's, it's actually mind boggling, uh, how much innovation is happening at, at Amazon right now. I mean, I live in Seattle, so I get to be around it all the time. Um, but like they're going and doing things that that everyone's been talking about doing or been like man the, 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 you know future commerce you know a, a couple if we had started a couple years ago we would have been like oh yeah the whole walk into a store pick stuff up and walk out thing that's that's pretty far in the future well amazon just released a store that does exactly that you know they they're taking risks and they're making moves that no one else is is making and so yeah they're going to dominate in certain ways they're going to be in the forefront and and they're going to they're going to they're going to actually lead our our <laughs> retail to its new future. Yeah. Um, I mean, the concept is one thing, right? Like I, I don't want to hijack your, your, your very, uh, uh, very poignant, uh, uh, sort of soliloquy there. My, my, what I'm trying to, what I was coming back to was, uh, what their, their, their notions and the things that they're doing aren't necessarily, uh, things that can't be replicated by other companies that already have, the retail 
square footage to do it. Like sure. I, if, if, if Walmart made a decision to do, you know, to do, uh, walk out of store, you know, they have, they at least have the, they, they actually have stores. They don't have to go build them. You know, they actually, they have, they have some, they've got a leg up there. And, you know, while the, the notion is nice, uh, wasn't the, the actual public beta pushed back from Amazon already? I think yeah, that, you know, I mean, it, it's it, not it, without hiccups yeah, and sure. I'm not trying, you know, usually I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a fanboy, but now I'm just opposing you just because we're on another show <laughs> I have to. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. The, uh, the other news we definitely want to get to is, uh, you know, today a lot of the retailers release their same store sales um, in, in kind of a preview of earnings. Uh, Macy's does both kind of together. So Macy's kind of kicked the day off with a really sour note. Uh, the same store sales for the first quarter were down 5.2% year over year. You know, I think Wall Street was looking at three down three. So it was almost, you know, twice as bad as folks thought. Um, there is a number you'll see out there, 4.6, and that's kind of this piece of Macy's that's called licensed and owned. I'm not an expert on that to understand what's different, but that was only down 4.6. Um, then you have Kohl's was down 2.7, Dillard's down 4, Saks down 4.8, uh, and then Nordstrom's uh, all-in uh, was down 0.8%, but then you can actually, Nordstrom's is two business. There's the off-price and the full-price. The full-price was down 2.3%. So, you know, I talk about it a lot on the show. It's that, you know, we're, we're usually from the context of these malls closing, but not all these guys are mall retailers. But it, it's pretty brutal out there. You know, it, it, is, it is a really rough time in, in retail. Um, I've listened to you guys talk about it a little bit on your show. Uh, any, what, what is your insight into that? What, what's causing it? I, well, I, without the what's causing it, I think uh, uh, if, you know, if from a political perspective about the ability to, you know, create jobs and, and, and make, uh, and, and keep the growth factor happening in our economy. Um, if you needed a distraction from retail crisis, you know, firing the head of the FBI was one way to do it. Um, because nobody's talking about what you're talking about right now. Macy's down 17% on the day after, uh, after that, that report or after the, uh, that forecast come out today. And I think we're, this is what we all should be talking about ostensibly is that we're in a crisis. Um, and it's not just one that the wall street journal had a, had a headline on. Um, but what's causing it? I mean, I think, I think part, you know, part of it is, uh, you know, changing in consumer expectations and demands and the, the old, you know, the stalwarts can't keep up anymore. And, uh, and so, and especially because, uh, malls as a destination, I think, is is an antiquated idea. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to say anything new about that subject that hasn't already been said. But I, I, yeah. I think the the idea that we're going to transform the retail experience into a different experience by layering digital on top of it um, is is as is is uh, uh, the I don't know. It's the retail equivalent of you know weekend at Bernie's. Let's just prop up the dead guy. And pretend like he's still alive for a little while. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know. One 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 angle you guys may have on it that I wanted to ask you about is when Shopify does their numbers, they talk about a, a GMV number, and it was up pretty yeah. robustly. I can't remember the exact number. It was like north of ten percent, which which is kind of interesting. So if your theory is Amazon's running away with it and taking share, then it seems like the SMB online would just be getting pummeled, right? But there seems to be almost a bell curve where it's the omni-channel retail guys are getting pummeled. They're they're not doing great online or offline. Uh, 
uh, Amazon's doing well, and then there seems to be this kind of group of SMBs that that you know have you know they've somehow figured it out. What and you guys talk to a lot of those folks. What what is it they're doing that that's kind of causing them to buck? And and do you see that in your businesses? It's a good question. Uh, one thing that SMBs have done, uh, good SMBs have done, is really do what we've already talked about a little bit, which is they're not competing with Amazon. They're they're creating experiences for their customers that really cater to their customers well. And so they've gotten really specific and really honed in and tuned into what their customers are interested in and need um, and want and, 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 you know, created product differentiation and, and done, you know, and, 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 you know, maybe they're selling through Amazon. So, you know, Amazon, Amazon's profiting from that, but they're also profiting from that. And so um, it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, Philip, I'll let you speak to that to some degree as well. But I think the beautiful thing about being small is that you have the ability to to really focus. Um, and so, these sort of mid tier omni channel retailers, I think that their strategy in terms of of or like the, their market was the same as Amazon's market, and so they're getting killed because they're getting beat at their own game, and so. Um, SMBs, that's not ever been their market. Um, they're 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 targeted. Hmm. I have nothing more to add to that. That's an astute uh, point. I think another thing that I want to bring up about this whole mm-hmm. retail crisis thing is, uh, well, I, I, I have a few points. <laughs> um, one thing is, first of all, you, you've got a generation that's now coming coming into purchasing power. And this generation has been through one of the worst recessions in history, in American history. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a lot more careful with our money. <laughs> um, and so, and on top of that, you've had insane amount of competition online and you've had sites come up like Retail Me Not and these um, passive commerce sites like Deal News and Slick Deals and others. And they've created expectations about pricing and purchasing that that are more widespread than than what we used to think of as as crazy extreme couponers. Extreme couponing is not a, a thing that that a few people do now. It's something that everyone does, and so we're the, our, our our expectations around what we pay for things are are just completely different <laughs> now. <laughs> and yeah. so um, even 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 Marcus is, is you know we, we talked about this on the show, but. They, they're saying price sensitivity is a big deal right now. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's playing a big part in it. So, so not only are we, are we coming out of the greatest recession ever, but now we have ways that we can save money. And so I know I fall into an extreme category here, but I would, I would probably be categorized as an exploitive shopper where I, you know, I'm, I'm buying things at, at probably lower, you know, lower than it took for a retailer to buy them because I know that I can wait. I can wait around with my passive tools and wait for price alerts and pick up that pair of Clarks for twenty bucks, and you know instead of the the retail price of of one twenty or whatever it is. Um, I, I I do have actually something to add, which is I think that we're you know I'll lump myself into it even though I'm a Gen Xer. Um, I I'm which by the way Gen Xers have it worse than anyone because we're caught between two, True. you know, objectively awful generations. Um, but no, I'm, so I, my, my, my take is that 
we are moving into uh, a generation of people that are that want to experience things for themselves and and so SMBs who are offering lifestyle and who are offering uh, you know a sort of way of life and connection with their brand and whether that's outdoor you know out, outdoors or source you know the forever summer sort of idea uh, whatever that might be, it's there are goods and services that are around experience, and I think that that sells pretty easily because the an experience is me being somewhere, living and maybe sharing it on Snapchat. But I'm I'm going and I'm doing and I'm I'm experiencing interesting things, and these are the things that I bring with me, instead of you know the traditional you know uh, 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 hard goods and soft goods that used to just outfit our homes. Uh, you know, where we spent most of our time and then take, you know, one vacation a year, I think we're, we're kind of living life differently now. And so maybe this is the new normal. Um, and we talked about this on, on future commerce. Uh, we had a, a retail analyst uh, by the name of Saku Pandit Tharatni and she, uh, she's formerly of, uh, Andreessen Horowitz and has done a lot of work in the VR space, but she, she has this theory that, you know, uh, you know, maybe retail needs to rethink its model and operate more like Silicon Valley, which have have a much longer investment curve and venture capital uh, sort of to uh, to back and have investment that gets you through the need to just generate profits and instead mm-hmm. focus on the need to actually expand the the ubiquity of of your your brand, um, which I think is an interesting take. Oh, it it, it definitely is, and uh, that's actually going to be a great place to leave it for this week because it has happened again. We have wasted a complete hour of our listeners' time. So, (laughs) Brian, Philip, we certainly appreciate you coming on the show and helping us to do so. Yeah, thanks, guys. We really enjoyed the opportunity to meet your audience and uh, experiment with this whole cross-podcast concept. Uh, If you guys liked it, be sure to let us know uh, um, on Facebook or Twitter or wherever it is you'd like to leave feedback. Uh, If you leave feedback in iTunes, we always appreciate the five-star kind of feedback. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us on. It's great. Appreciate it. Yep. Until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.